You're a scat man. Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, our mini-sode, we're going to be covering this clip from this guy with a baseball cap. Uh, his baseball cap inspires credibility. So, so you know what he's going to be teaching is absolutely true. And it's uh, his video is called Be Aware of the Damnable Heresy of Open Theism. Oh, Open Theism, that Damnable Heresy of Open Theism. So here, here's the premise. So if, you, if you're reading the Bible, and this is a warning to everyone out there, uh, you're reading the Bible, you're going along, you know, maybe you're reading the chapters in order. And so you're on maybe chapter six and you're, and you're reading it and it says, uh, God said that he regrets making mankind and then the narrator, narrator, he reinforces it and says also that God regretted making mankind. Uh, watch out. Watch out. Because if you believe that, if you read the text and you believe what the text says and you say, well, the text says it, God says it, um, I also believe it. I believe God and the narrator. Well, watch out. You're in trouble because by doing that, God will send you straight to hell. Do not pass go straight to hell, burn for eternity, damnable heresy. You can't be believing that Bible. So you gotta watch out, reading the Bible, which parts you believe, because uh, you believe those wrong parts, straight to hell, burn. Eternal damnation for you. Thank you, thank you, Baseball Cap Man, for your genius. Uh, what would we do without you? But uh, I'll let him go ahead and explain his position. Hey, this is Ricky Gantz with G220 Ministries. and G220 Hi, Ricky. I was listening to a sermon today. Oh. And it's one that we've reviewed before. The sermon is not one that we reviewed before, but it's from a church and pastor from which we have reviewed uh, on G220 Radio once before. Uh, the man is an anti-Calvinist. He despises Calvinism and Calvinists and, uh, you know, has such disdain for them. Uh, but that's not the most alarming part. Uh oh, you know, that's not the most what is? dangerous aspect. Of Ricky, this. tell me um, whether you're a Calvinist or you're not a Calvinist. Don't really don't hold off. I need to know here with this situation. Ricky, this man, that he's what he's preaching is open theism. What? It's really this idea. That open God, theism. While we know Ricky, the Bible teaches God is omniscient. God Ricky, knows omniscience. The very word for omniscience means the state of knowing everything so god knows absolutely <laughs> everything there is to know uh, okay did you catch that argument I, I i might have been talking a little bit over it but here's his argument that the bible teaches god is omniscient and omniscience has a certain definition uh which god means god knows all things in the future and so we got multiple issues going on here in uh, our, our friends ricky in his head he, he first of all thinks that number one the bible teaches omniscience which which verse is that? Which which verse, Ricky? Ricky, help me out here. And so, omniscience is a word that he gives a definition to. The Bible never uses the word omniscience. It's a word that we use as theologians uh, to label an attribute of God. Um, even even the ancient scholar of various omnisciences around ancient religions, he says the all-knowing God. So, all-knowing is 
probably a better classification because it doesn't import all the, the, the philosophical assumptions that uh, the word omniscience does. And so he wants this technical definition of omniscience, a word the Bible never uses, uh, with this specific definition that the Bible never gives it. So where's your proof text, Ricky? You're missing you're missing a whole lot of things there, my friend. Uh, yes. Um, so that's that's another reason that we we like to go look at the actual text itself. See, I'm not a theology guy. I don't I don't do theology. I do reading comprehension. So if you're not giving me any text to read, uh, I'm at a loss, my friend. I can't do anything with that. There's no, uh, he knows the possibilities, but he doesn't really know what the outcome may be. No, God knows everything. Knows from the beginning to the end. Oh, <laughs> oh if, if you say so, Ricky, I, I guess I'll just, I'll just take your unsourced, unevidenced position and just accept it. Thank you. Yeah, he knows it all. Oh. Okay? <laughs> so God knows it all. And uh, basically what this man is teaching is open theism, which open theism Ooh. is heresy. And not just heresy, but damnable heresy. Damnable. So we want to listen to... You read that Bible, you believe it, straight to hell. Straight to hell for you. It serves you right for believing in what the Bible writes. That's kind of a nasty thing for God to do, is to put sections of the Bible in wide swaths, actually, wide swaths of the Bible, uh, explicit narratives uh, it was throughout uh, multiple chapters. Any random chapter of the Bible basically is going to be giving you this picture of God. Um, but it's like a minefield. So God built a minefield, minesweeper Bible. And uh, if you believe that part of that Bible, uh, straight to hell, burn for eternity, uh, sucks to be you. And uh, that's this guy's view. It's damnable heresy for believing the Bible. So this guy is uh, a nut and uh, he's, a, he's a Calvinist. And so Calvinists are on a different level. They 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 don't operate on the plane of rationality. This is a small little two-minute clip of this man talking about, um, basically, it's his open theism. Oh. Uh, he's dealing with Calvinism here, just a short little snippet of speaking about Calvinism. But the open theism is what really is prevalent and what we really need to be concerned about and listening for uh, when we're sitting under teaching and preaching <laughs> of whoever it is we may be under. So let's go ahead, and this is coming from Pastor Richard Sowell of Hope Baptist Church in Toledo, Ohio, and this is what he had to say. I'll be honest with you. I think when you go through your Bible, uh, here's a good rule of thumb. I mentioned, I think, the other day, this time through my Bible, I'm working on Calvinism. What does that mean? Well, that means every time I find a scripture in my Bible that just goes crossways with Calvinism, I write it down. Pastor Richard Soule, how much of the Bible are you writing down? How much time do you have on your hands? That's a lot of work, my friend. Do you know I was convinced before I started reading my Bible that Calvinism was foolishness? Okay? Now then, I'm so convinced that if you're a Calvinist, I ain't even going to bother to talk to you. <laughs> you need special education. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay? Because you've missed the entire context of your Bible. Do you know how many times there are references in there to God being surprised and it didn't come out the way the Lord had planned it was going to come out? How do you reconcile all that with Calvinism? I, I read through the other day. How do you explain David and Bathsheba? 
Did God know it from the foundation of the world? Then is he not culpable? If he's culpable, how does he punish the evildoer? Probably not the best proof text for uh, Soel to be using. Soel, Soul, uh, Pastor Soul to be using. Probably not the best proof text. Uh, so it's it's not quite explicit in that text. It, it could be assumed that uh, God had not foresaw and predicted this because God always operates in a reactionary mode. Mankind does evil, then God swoops in and punishes. Do you see preemptive punishment of sin in the Bible? Uh, we, we don't really see that. God, God is reactive, as opposed to Calvinism, where God's controlling all things. So why isn't God proactive rather than reactive? It doesn't make sense. The narrative of the Bible makes no sense. It's not written by a Calvinist. The, the plot lines, the character motivations, just the structure of the story is not what you would expect for God who controls all things to the smallest detail. Every every wiggle of our finger, every every cough, every sin, every sin that's ever committed is in the mind of God, predestined, planned, and carried out in Calvinism. That's that's not what you read in the Bible. God is appalled by sin. He's he's furious by sin. He's he's uh almost at a loss for words sometimes why people are still sinning in spite of his punishments. He says, I've punished you guys in vain and you guys haven't repented. I expected you to repent, but you did not. There's failed expectations in regards to sin, which Calvinism claims God's responsible for all of it. It makes no sense. It's, it's an idiosyncratic reading. It's a reading of the Bible that is, is only in the Calvinist mindset. It, it's not natural to the text. It's, it's literally, literally, I've said this before, Calvinism is a cult and they, they, they have to approach the Bible in their cult mindset because you cannot, a normal reading comprehension reader would not get this out of the text of the Bible. And you know this, pull up any secular scholar of comparative religions and see how they talk about the Bible and God. It's not in this Calvinistic sense. It's a total... Uh, it's a total imposition on the text of their theology. The scripture says the Lord, David, displeased the Lord. How do you displease the Lord when you're doing his will? Yeah. Some of you are scratching your heads going, mm -hmm. you know what? I've got 150 of those things written down. And I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm in, I think, Kings or Chronicles or somewhere. Should have more than I that. my Bible and look. What do you mean? I mean, there are too many places in there that will not line up with the idea of a God so sovereign that every breath is counted by God and you're only allowed to inhale for 10 seconds because that's the foreordained will and plan of God. I find a God that can be disappointed, a God that can be brokenhearted, a God that can be angry and frustrated because somebody disobeyed him. That is not consistent with a God of Calvinism. And I set my attention this time through my Bible to direct my mind to that thought as I came through. So Pastor Rick Sowell of a Hope Baptist Church in Toledo, Ohio. I'd go to this guy's church, but then I'd have to live in Ohio. Ugh, I don't know anyone who wants to do that. Uh, but back to our friend, our other Kenny guy, uh, or Rick, Ricky, Ricky. So this guy's name is Ricky, and he's criticizing a Rick. So I guess they're both Rick. Ricky, take it away. Heard him say... Uh, there's not a God that's that sovereign that he even knows the very breaths. I mean, the man clearly, because of his hatred, his disdain 
for Calvinism is making a very, very dangerous leap into the, the uh, heresy of open theism. But what he's doing is denying the, the character of God because of he has such a great disdain for Calvinism. So he has to try to make his view fit because how else do you explain the scriptures that speak about God knowing the end from the beginning? Um, you know, probably. You could try to ask someone, uh, Ricky, have you, have you ever, ever thought about that, Ricky? Take someone who's an open theist and just say, hey, hey, guy over there who's an open theist, how do you deal with this passage? Because I'll tell you what, uh, there's a lot of books on open theism, and they all address this passage. This is not, this is not unknown to open theism. And there, there's a lot of good common sense uh, readings of it from an open theist perspective that perhaps, perhaps is better than your own. Again, uh, per our last podcast, Calvinists like to compartmentalize their proof texts. And so they'll have a proof text about God declaring something from the beginning. He's declaring the end from the beginning. But declaring things is an action. Declaring things is two people. Declaring things requires interaction. In time, uh, it, it totally violates all their notions of immutability, of uh, timelessness, and being unrelatable, and having no relations to at all to to the external world or getting inputs from the external world. All these things are negated in your proof text. Uh, your your proof text, which you assume your other theology on, it's a single use passage. Yeah, you you want to use this proof text for only one point, one aspect of your theology, without bouncing it off against other critical details of your theology. Oh, it's ludicrous that these people are ludicrous. Yeah, God declares what he's going to do before he does it, declares the end from the beginning. Why? So people know that when it happens, it's God who does it. As Amos reads, that God does not do disaster to the city without declaring it to a prophet. Uh, what this is saying is that not God doesn't do everything. Not every single disaster that happens to a city is from God. Just at the times that God does those actions, he states it beforehand such that he gets credit for his actions. And you, you don't get this massive credit for everything that ever happens. There, there's no claim for total credit. There, uh, Isaiah doesn't argue like that. If that's their perception of Yahweh, uh, it's totally lacking from the text because in the text, there's actually a conflict with the false gods. You have to prove Yahweh is the true God apart from the false Baals of the Babylonians in captivity. And how would a Calvinist do that? A Calvinist would say, oh, they'd appeal to their negative theology. Uh, how this guy starts his video, God is omniscient. And you look at this word, omniscient, and it means these specific philosophical things. Um, also, sovereignty. Uh, what kind of God is not sovereign? That's, that's, not, that's not what's going on in Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah has to use practical examples of things God has said and done to prove to Israel that God can do some things. That I, Forget trying to prove that God is... Uh, does everything. Forget trying to prove that God knows all events, uh, current, past, and future. That's not what's going on here. He's fighting for the fact that God can do some things. That's that's what he's trying to prove 
to the Babylonian exiles, Israel in Babylonian captivity. Uh, he's trying to prove that God is more powerful than the Baals. And that, that that's that's what's happening there. It's it's not it's not this uh knowledge claim, it's not this controlling all things claim. That those types of claims are not germane to the text. They don't make sense to the argument that he's trying to present to the people of Israel. And they would have been presented in a completely different manner if that's what he was going for. But go on, go on, Ricky. Ricky, tell us. Tell us all about uh, uh, your proof text. Proverbs 16, 14. It says, The Lord hath made all things for himself. Yeah, even the wicked for the day of evil. Yeah, so that's one translation. I, I brought up to Matt Slick a different translation. Uh, you know, tran language is flexible. Words are flexible. They could be translated in, in different ways by different people. The, the meanings of words are not hard, fast, and defined. And so in, in the Matt Slick debate, he uses this as a proof text. I bring up a different Bible and a different translation, and I say, what's wrong with this translation? He really didn't have an answer because... He, first of all, he doesn't understand language. He doesn't know how language functions and operates. Instead, what he wants to do is he wants to appeal to his preferred translation and then assume his preferred translation has his metaphysics in mind. It doesn't. Basically, that verse is saying that God works out all things to the ends that he wants. He even has an end in store for the wicked on the day of judgment. That's what the text reads and translates to. Neil Short He's my guy. Uh, he, he's got an entire article on this that we link to on the God is Open blog. I'll try to, if I remember, post a link to it in the description. But uh, just assuming your theology onto a text, that's that's not a good way of doing theology. It's it's a really bad way of doing theology. What, what you need to do if you want to claim a proof text is show how the context supports your preferred interpretation rather than other possible interpretations is, is what you need to do. Okay. We know Romans 9, 22 says, What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? God endearing doesn't sound like a thing you believe in. You don't believe God is in time and has to suffer, endear, suffer, People, uh, God doesn't suffer in your mindset. God doesn't have emotions or feelings or can't feel degradation. He's perfectly simple, immutable, immutable. He doesn't suffer. And so you have to reject, again, your, your proof texts are single use only. Uh, you have a proof text for a specific context and you forget, absolutely forget to bounce that uh, proof text off all your other medley of beliefs that absolutely are contradicted by your own proof text that you're using for a specific purpose. This is this is terrible theology. It's uh it may be like uh as how a sixth grader might do theology. So scenario. Well let, let's imagine this. I'm a guy and I walk up to you. I got a Bible in my hand. I say, This is the Bible, and this is what the Bible says. It says that mankind, you, me, all human beings, uh, we all have all power. We we're omnipotent, and we all have all knowledge, we're all omniscient. And we're all immutable. Uh, we None of us can change. Because in the Psalms, it says that uh, they do not change. And in uh, 1 John 2.20, it says that we know all things. And in Genesis, uh, during the Tower of Babel, God says, 
nothing that they desire will be withheld from them. Uh, they're capable of doing anything. So the Bible teaches uh, that man is perfectly simple, immutable, outside of the time, can do anything, has all power, has all knowledge. Uh, mankind are, are basically gods because the Bible says so. You know, you know what I would do? I'd look at that man. I'd look at that man. Look at him pretty closely. Let's let's look at our friend here, Ricky. I'll look at him closely. I'd say, Ricky, my friend, you are functionally retarded. You can't read. You can't read. Um, taking these phrases and just assuming your metaphysics on it without any supporting context, in spite of limiting context that might limit these proof texts functionally to a specific meaning, um, just taking them as your metaphysics, you're functionally retarded because no one would read these texts and have these assumptions in mind. And so Calvinists, so Ricky will come to the text and he'll say, oh, oh God, he, he declares the end from the beginning. See Isaiah? And so what that means, and he puts his scholarly cap on, it's a, it's a baseball cap with like a KD on it, I don't know. Uh, and he puts his scholarly cap on and he says, what this means is that Every single leaf that falls, God has had an eternal declaration that he just shouted out into nothing that nobody heard, and he declared that to himself from the beginning, which doesn't mean even the beginning of time. It's, it's an eternal decree, and so I don't know why we say he declared it from the beginning, um, but he did, and that was the end, and that means everything that ever happens is declared eternally in an eternal declaration everything that ever happens that's definitely what that phrase means ricky you're functionally retarded verse 23 and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he hath afore prepared unto glory uh, romans 8 28 <laughs> you can't you can't prepare things uh, for glory or for destruction Unless Calvinism is true. This is this guy's literal argument. He, he, he forgot. He forgot to test his argument on maybe a rational person. Or he's, he's like, maybe he's never interacted with a rational person in his life. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe he surrounds himself with Calvinists and they, they sit around in a circle. They're like, hey, how about this for a good argument? That uh, God controls all things. Romans 9. And the other people are like, yeah, that's a good proof text. Wait, wait a minute. What about Romans 9 proves that God controls all things? Oh, yeah. Remember this part in the passage where God did this one thing. The other guy's like, oh, yeah. What about that? He has to endure part of it. And then Ricky's, he's over here. He's like, just forget about that part. We, we don't have to care about God endearing. We'll just skip, we'll skip over that word. Uh, we don't need to give any real meaning to that. It doesn't mean what it says. God doesn't feel emotions. You know, he's immutable and simple. And, and you know, so we'll skip that part. But look at that thing that where God does something. That means God does everything. And then his, his friend's like, that's a great idea. Thank you, Ricky. Thank you for this presentation. You're teaching us so much. Which was basically what this whole, um, well, actually not what this whole one was about, but another sermon that I heard him speak on, speaking on Romans 8, 28, but we know it says, and we know that all things work together for good of to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. The funny thing there is uh, an alternate translation that works uh, probably even better is uh, God works all things together. It's, 
It's a synergy verse, right? Romans 8, 28. All right, so there's this book by uh, Tim Gettert, and uh, I actually contacted him, and he sent me his book. Uh, he's kind enough to do that, and uh, his argument is that the verse actually uses the word synergy, and Calvinists, they hate synergists. Oh, sim- synergists are damnable heretics, uh, but really, the Bible literally uses the word synergy, that God works all things together with those who love him, and so here's an alternate translation. I'm just going to have to read this paragraph. Unless synergy is being used here in a way completely unprecedented in the New Testament, Romans 8.28 is not about God fitting all things together into a pattern for our benefit. It is rather about God and those who love God working as partners, working together to bring about good in all situations. While we, those who love God and are called according to God's purposes, may at times also be the beneficiaries of God and others working together. This verse is probably not primarily about the benefits we receive from God's actions on our behalf. It is rather a clear indication that those who are foreknown, predestined, called, justified, and glorified, see the context of Romans 8.28, are being transformed, not only in order to receive God's grace, but also in order to become channels of God's grace to others. God's working with people synergy this is your proof text oh you calvinist so uh, grab a proof text just assume your theology on uh don't interact with anyone else with with alternative views don't address those views definitely not in a video against maybe open theism don't don't see what the open theists have to say about your proof text oh we wouldn't want to do that that would that would be so terrible that that'd be work yeah you don't want to do work to have a response video okay God knows all things. He's not surprised. Oh, when when oh, you look okay. at the scriptures, as he's going through scriptures, talking about scriptures where God regretted or God was, in King James Version, repented. Yeah. Um, you got to under, understand the language that's being used, anthropomorphic language, to help us understand things. Really? It sends us to hell. It sends us to hell. Oh, oh, Kenny. I don't know. It's not Kenny. Ricky. Ricky, it sends us to hell. It's how does it help us understand if it sends us to hell? I uh, I think you got this backwards. Again, anthropomorphism, that's not a thing. The anthropomorphites in the time of Augustine were people who literally believe that God had a body. And the word itself in English didn't it wasn't used in a dismissive sense. Uh until maybe the 16th century, where it started to take on a meaning of, we just dismiss all the things in the Bible that we call an anthropomorphism uh, for no reason. It's it's not an idiom. It's it's not it's not a known figure of speech. You could claim it's a personification. Personifications have meaning. They they inform. They clarify. So so what is the clarification? Tell us there, Mister Ricky. Um, it's not that God is looking and saying, okay. I know all the possibilities. This is something I've heard this man say before. He knows all the possibilities of what could be, but he doesn't really know what your outcome is going to be. And even there, when he's saying with David and Bathsheba, did God know that? So he didn't. He didn't address it. He didn't say God regrets something. What does that tell us? What What does that mean? What kind of information does it communicate to the reader, such that the reader is better off than they were before? He fails to do that. So it, what he wants to do is he wants to try to dismiss it with a dismissing mechanism and not have to explain what kind of communication was happening with that phrase, with that passage in the Bible. 
This is what these guys do. They're not biblical scholars. They don't care about the Bible. They're looking for ways to dismiss the parts of the Bible that they don't like. And, and according to the title of this video, according to our, our friend here, Ricky, it will damn you to hell for believing what the Bible says. You take it seriously. You read it. It's a narrative. And so do you believe the narrative happened? Do you believe it not happened? God talks in the narrative. God has interactions, for example, when with Moses in Exodus 32, where God repents. Do you believe those historical events happened? A Ricky, Ricky friend here, he says, if you believe those historical events happened, you're going to hell. Thank you, Ricky, for your hot take. That David was going to do that with Bathsheba, that he was going to have the the husband of Bathsheba, Uriah, was going to have him put to death. Did God know that before he created him, before he was even formed in his mother's womb? Yes, of course God knew that. He knows all things. There's no oh, you've convinced me. Oh, definitely. Uh, you're, you're random talking, well, just, just saying it. Calvinists do this all the time. They think that just saying something makes that thing true. They, they, they don't feel any unction, compulsion to prove their claims. They think that making a claim by itself is good enough evidence for that claim being true. Thank you, Ricky, again, Ricky. There's nothing you can hide from God. There's nothing that uh, he does not know. There's nothing he's not aware of. He knows all things. He's omniscient. Oh, He, he knows oh. everything there is to know. Um, and, and that's why this is so dangerous to have this view, this open theism, where you have to deny the actual character of God. You have to deny God's um, attribute of omniscience, of all-knowing. <laughs> okay, so this guy's not presented any proof texts for his omniscience claims. He's, he's presented proof texts for his, his uh, claims about sovereignty. And when he says uses the word sovereignty, you grab a dictionary. That's not the word that he really wants. What he wants is something more like fatalistic micromanagement. What they like to do, these Calvinists, they're dishonest people, no intellectual integrity. So they grab nice sounding words out of the dictionary and they redefine them. And then they attack you if you don't accept their definitions. And they say, oh, you reject sovereignty if you reject this definition that I imposed on this word uh, without any historical basis for ascribing these, this definition onto that word. Uh, they hijack language. They're not honest people. They operate in, in the world of leftist liberalism. And, you know, a liberal used to be a good thing, like someone who was free and open and generous and gave a lot of things. And then the quote unquote progressives hijacked the, the word to turn it into someone who supports socialistic policies. It's very Orwellian. It's very uh, Humpty Dumpty. If I control language, uh, you know, I, I can make language whatever I want. That's what these Calvinists do. They're not honest people. To make it fit into your system because you don't like Calvinism. Look, if you don't like Calvinism, that's one thing. I know people that are... <laughs> All these motivations. Oh, you just don't like Calvinism. Uh, you can't possibly believe this uh, unless you had these ulterior bad motives. You know, There's no other possible... You can't be like these secular scholars... And uh, who just believe that Yahweh, as described in the Bible, doesn't have these classical attributes ascribed to him by a normal reading comprehension test. And these Calvinists, when I interact with them, they're like, oh, those scholars, they're just all biased and they, they hate God. And 
All of them? Every single one of them? Every, none of them. None of them think Calvinism's in the Bible. I these uh, these uh, cross cross religion comparison. You know these religious survey courses. We're just comparing these various religions. They don't buy into what you're what you're selling, my friend, because it's not there. It is just not present in the text. That are not Calvinist, and they're good, godly brothers and sisters in the Lord, but they would not deny the sovereignty of God and the fact that God knows all things. Fatalistic micromanagement. Uh, so that, that's horrific. That's not a good thing. So sovereignty is, you know, the, the sovereign king of England would be someone who sits on the throne and rules and delegates and passes laws and passes judgments. That's what a sovereign does. A sovereign doesn't uh, go into your house, implant nanobots into your body, and force you to mow your lawn at at seven thirty one in the morning. Those things do not happen in sovereignty. That is that is psychotic, uh, not sovereignty at all, and uh, more like hypno uh, technocratic autocratic uh, micromanagement. It's it's psychosis. Psychosis is what you're describing, and then you're trying to redefine it as sovereignty. Thanks. Now here's here's a simple question that I usually try to bring up to people when I'm having this conversation. You know, do you believe that God knows everything? Do you believe that God knows? Pretty much every single open theist will say God knows everything. And uh, so there, there might be some qualifications on that. Uh, the typical open theist answer is God knows everything that's knowable. And if there's a fact that doesn't exist, it, it's not there to be known. But that's not the type of knowledge that he wants. So he wants a very specific definition where God's knowledge is ungenerated and unchanging. And if God acquires new knowledge, then that creates some sort of deficiency in God. Knows who's going to choose him if you believe in a free will. Do you believe, do you know that who does, do you believe that God knows who's going to choose him before he even creates those people? Now, if you say no, that's open theism and that's heresy. <laughs> if you say no, then you're open theist and we've already established that's a very bad thing to do, that open theism, uh, because remember, I said it from my own mouth and so therefore it must be true. The only logical answer that you can give that fits with the scripture is to this guy doesn't know what logic is what he actually means to say is uh the only rational answer but you you still haven't established that much um you're you're pretty sloppy my friend say yes god knows everything okay god knows everything saying that he doesn't know and didn't know this and that it's god's fault if he created david knowing that he was going to do that, he becomes the, the responsible party of that. So the ironic thing about this is uh, we, we had already brought up Genesis 6 into the mix where God is sorry that he had made mankind, and then he resolves to destroy all the earth. The, the text in Genesis 6 reads that God's regretting his own actions. And so God is assuming some culpability in the events as they occur. And that might be part of his decision, his reformulation after the flood, not to destroy man again, for the intentions of evil are on their hearts from their youth. You know, God is accepting some responsibility for a fallen creation. God is accepting some responsibility for the man mankind that he created. He bears some culpability.
in the text, this, this, this is the narrative of the text, that God is assuming some of it and reversing his decision. It, this, this is what we read in the text. But his theology precludes that. God can't have any culpability in anything negative, uh, no matter how slight or whatever like that, no matter how subjective of an evaluation. God can't have any part of that because his theology overrides the Bible. His theology takes precedence over the biblical narrative. It just shows me that this man does not understand the character of God, does not understand the, the word of God, and he should not be preaching behind a pulpit. So our, our friend Ricky, Ricky, uh, he hates the Bible. He doesn't care about who God is as described in the Bible. He comes to the Bible with his own theology in his mind. He forces it onto the text. And then he calls other people heretics who actually believe the text. This is the caliber of person that open theists have to deal with on a regular basis. This is why that, that pastor... That open theist pastor, you hear heard him say, it's not worth it to deal with these guys. You are literally dealing with cultists who are irrational. They go off on these random tangents without any evidence, without any rational thought. They refuse to even see the other person's perspective. This guy comes to this entire video without a clue about how any open theist would ever respond to his favorite proof text. He's, he's completely unaware that alternative positions exist. You're dealing with fanatics in a cult bubble when dealing with Calvinists. Because what he said there in that, that clip, he also stated the fact that he's been going through and circling those things that talks about God regretting or God was remorseful and, and going through and doing that saying, I've got all these things that go against what Calvinists believe. And so I won't even talk to a Calvinist. That's not the That's reason. That's not the heart of a believer. If you truly believe you have truth, why would you not then, if you believe Calvinists are in error, why would you not want to correspond with them? Because it's a waste of time. You're dealing with NPCs. They don't have uh, unique individual thoughts. They're programmed in this hive mentality. They are not worth interacting with. You guys are fruitcakes. You're nutters. And, and, and I find that to be um, heartbreaking. And I find that also to be um, something used as he's speaking this from the pulpit to kind of keep the people from wanting to engage with Calvinists as well, because I've tried to reach out to people in this church and they don't want to speak at all because it's, it's from top down. This is what you get from the pulpit where he says, I don't even speak with them and puts it out there basically that he doesn't even deal with Calvinists and kind of influences the people to just say, just leave those Calvinists alone. Don't even speak to them. So you can't even really reason with anyone from the scriptures. I don't. Th I don't think you've been doing very much reasoning here in this episode. Anyways, uh, we're going long on this guy. I spent way too much time than I should on this individual, and so we're probably just going to cut out, cut it off there. I think I've said basically. Basically, he provides no evidence. He provides a lot of emoting, and uh, he, he thinks that just saying something makes it true. These are traits you just watch for Calvinists to do. Watch for their actions. Uh, unsupported proof texts, proof texts that aren't uh, affirmed by the context that the proof text means what they claim. Their inability to understand other alternate positions on their proof text. Their, their unfamiliarity with other readings, valid, normal reading comprehension readings of their proof texts. And, and again, and again, 
And their hijacking of language, that's another one. Uh, we'll get a list up. We'll, we'll put a list of the things Calvinists do. We already got uh, Calvinists always lie. They're liars. They're dishonest people. And uh, this is this is a little bit more evidence towards that. They're, they're not, you're not dealing with rational, intelligent individuals when you're dealing with your typical Calvinists. Yeah, they're, they're of course. Hashtag not all Calvinists. Anyways, that will be it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. Uh, like, uh, uh, put a comment uh, down in our comments. Uh, tell me how terrible I'm doing. If, if you if you listen to this whole thing, this whole thing, you're you're still with me here. You you may you might like this podcast. Go to the iTunes store and and rate it like a five. I don't know. We'll we'll get pump those stars up just a little bit. And. Uh, Everyone who hates me, stop listening before I made that previous statement. And then we'll be good. And uh, that will work for us all. Anyways, thanks for listening.